0: Amazing. So if you have your Bibles, it's in 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, and if not, they will come up on the screen. Starting at verse 1, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. This is
1: the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Simon, and uh, I'm delighted to speak to you and share with you this morning on this wonderful theme of giving. Let's pray. Lord we've just sung love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all thank you Lord that you gave everything for us and help us today to understand more of this grace of giving Amen if you have a Bible please do turn to the passage that was read to us I won't be Working carefully through it, but I want to draw out a couple of points from it in two Corinthians chapter eight. The prophet Isaiah said this to an, over two and a half millennia ago. A generous person devises generous plans, and by generous acts they stand. Generous person devises generous plans and by generous acts, they stand. C.S. Lewis, in his book on introducing the Christian faith called Mere Christianity, argued that generosity is one of the hallmarks of those who follow Jesus. And he wrote this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give in terms of percentage. Says, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our commitment to giving excludes them. And C.S. Lewis practiced what he preached. When he himself was just a mere student, he housed and supported. Uh, a widow and her daughter, the mother and sister of a friend of his who had died in World War I as a student. Later, when Lewis became a famous author and money flooded in, he chose to keep the same standard of living. He gave all royalties that he got from all his radio presentations away to a widow's and orphan's fund. And then when lots of money poured in from book royalties, 75% of that was paid directly into what he called the Agape Trust, the Sacrificial Giving Trust. And that was given anonymously to numerous folk, those who were in poverty and clergy, widows, students, churches, and many other ministries. And at his memorial service up the road in Magdalen Chapel, the preacher, who had been a personal friend of his, described C.S. Lewis as endlessly generous. Endlessly generous. That was the hallmark of the work of God in his life. And we've just been reading in 2 Corinthians about this remarkable church community in Macedonia. And despite their own uh, needs, their own suffering, indeed their own poverty, they were endlessly generous. I believe generosity is a mark of St. Aldate's. And I believe God just wants to underline that and encourage that in us this morning. But these are testing times politically and economically and indeed for the foreseeable future. I recently read the head of the IMF state that in economic terms, growth is down and inflation is up. But in human terms, people's incomes are down and hardship is up. And whilst there's always a few who prosper in times like this, Most struggle. And many in our congregation and in our neighborhoods and in our families and in our communities and in our colleges will be struggling, will be affected and impacted. And the question before us this morning is how are we going to respond to this? Well, firstly and obviously, we need to be praying. Got to be praying for the nations, for our leaders, for the politicians, for the financiers, for the economic economists, for the industrialists. We've got to be praying for those who are hurting. We've got to be praying for the poor, those who are hit hardest and often helped the least. And we need to take prudent steps. re our own household budgeting and for some of us it'll mean cancelling subscriptions and Stopping takeaways, that's really going to hurt me, because I love, a su- I love a takeaway on a Sunday night after church. I've been doing it for over 30 years. I mean, that's a commitment. And, uh, but now I've discovered 2.99 tins of curry in Marks and Spencers, which are okay. Anyway, we've got to take these steps. No new kit, old waistcoats turn the lights off and turn the heating down and put on an extra sweater and book a more modest holiday and I think for many of us there are leaner days ahead but what I really believe we're called to do is to press on regardless with the mission of God that he's entrusted to us the go must go on Stephen was sharing with us last week the vision for St. Aldates, all the things that we believe God has called us to do and now we're to engage in our city, in our own communities, our families, our colleges, our workplaces, that we've got to be there, open-hearted, open-handed, and living for and presenting Christ in word and deed. And the go must go on. What we mustn't do in this time is to be driven by fear, but rather marked by faith. And there's a natural uh, instinct and response, which would be in this season to close our hands and to hold on and grip more tightly to what little we may have. But I believe this is a season where we're actually called to rise and shine and to be prophetic and not be those who are gripping on tightly, but rather to be a church open-hearted, as we were hearing last week, and open-handed. Well, I want to make three points. The first is this, that God has always been endlessly generous. It is the hallmark of God. The University of Notre Dame, or as our American friends say Notre Dame which I rather like in fact I prefer it Uh, the University of Notre Dame's science of generosity project defines generosity in this way it is the virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly and that's how God is that is who God is. The very first act of God is open-handed generosity. Generosity of God is where it all begins. And in that initial act of God, that initial thought of God, and then the word of God, and the act of God that brings creation to bear, it is God's generosity. It is God outgoing. It is God giving it is God giving out himself and when God creates the universe he is making a space to give himself away it's right at the start the endless generosity of God indeed before even time was configured in space God is giving himself away within the triune Persons, the Father giving Himself to the Son, giving Himself to the Spirit, giving Himself to the Father, and so on. Endless giving out of glory. It's in the very being of God. And creation echoes its creator in giving. Just look at this beautiful planetary ballet that sustains creation. Just look at the plurality of intimate and intricate ecosystems of weather and geography and plant and animal and organism, minutely configured in such a way that they're all giving to the other. Our very universe, our very creation is predicated on giving. Why? Because it reflects the nature of God who is the giving God. The Psalmist says in Psalm 144:16, "You open your hand and satisfy the desire of all living things." Ours is the God of the open hand, and He calls us to be a people of the open hand." I wonder how you imagine God's hand. Do you imagine it as a fist ready to whack you if you put a step out of line? Do you imagine his hand as a pointing finger, highlighting all the wrongs in your life, there to uh, accuse and criticize? Or do you imagine his hand as a kind of firm halt? Stop that. How do you think of God's hand? Often scripture talks about his hand. It is the hand that lays out creation beautifully. It's the potter's hand that shapes and reshapes us when things go wrong. It's the tailor's hand that makes clothes to cover Adam and Eve's shame. And it's that beautiful hand that is tattooed with our names so he never forgets. And it's the nail-pierced hand at Calvary reaching out to a world in love. You know, God doesn't want to shake hands with you. God wants to bless you. and God wants to use his hand open for giving. I read this week about President Obama who, uh, in a tribute to our wonderful Queen Elizabeth, spoke of her extraordinary generosity. And he recalled that on one visit, she offered the girls... Uh, an opportunity to drive in her golden carriage. Remember her coronation carriage? To drive in it. She had it all prepped. She had the horses there, and they drove round and around the grounds of Bucky Palace. Can you imagine that? I mean, I just love that. The Queen having fun and thinking, how am I going to bless the President of America's kids? I know. Then them am in the royal chariot. <laughs> Completely epic, isn't it? What a queen, what a woman. And God from all eternity, the eternal sovereign, king of kings and lord of lords, is thinking of stuff like that. Scripture doesn't talk about a golden chariot, but it does say we can sit next to him on his throne. He's the God devising ways to share his pleasures and treasures with us, preeminently. The generosity of God is seen in Jesus all the way through. (laughs) From his incarnation, through his life, through his crucifixion, to his resurrection, to his ascension, to his secession in heaven, and then ultimately to his rule and reign and his return. All the way through, it's the generosity of God from crib to cross. And in our reading, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, it says, You know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, about generosity. What is that generosity, what is our good news? What is our gospel? What is our message? It's that God is generous towards us in Christ Jesus. It says that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And he left his glory to come to us, to take our humanity in order to redeem us to himself and bring our humanity to him in glory. You know the wise men at the birth of Christ. They brought their generous gifts. But the generous gift in the room. Was lying in a manger. Is the generosity of God. And whenever we think about giving. The very foundation. First principles. It's not what do I give? How do I give? When do I give? What percentage do I give? It's let us remember the God. Who first and foremost gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Years ago I was preaching up in Bradford where I was a a young priest and uh, I misquoted scripture. I said, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And afterwards this dear elderly lady in her 80s came up at me with a zimmer and a walking stick. I thought, I'm in trouble. And honestly, she lifted up the walking stick he did not send he gave and she was right of course <laughs> i mean one could argue that the sending is a giving and the giving is a sending but he's the generous god we've just sung it at the cross we see the generosity of god love poured out life poured out blood poured out at the cross, And when Jesus said, it is finished, it's because he had nothing else to give. He'd given it all to bring us to him. So that's the first thing. That's the foundation. That's the presupposition, the generosity of God. Secondly, the church of Jesus are to be a people of the open hand, reflecting God who's given them life and birth. And the churches of Macedonia were marked by this endless generosity. We read in verse two that despite severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Paul says for as I can testify they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means begging us earnestly for the grace of partnering in the ministry to the saints not as we expected not as we expected instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God they gave themselves to us and then they gave their gifts there was a famine going on in Jerusalem." Because, of those, because people were perceived as abandoning Judaism, even though they were fulfilling it, abandoning, abandoning Judaism and embracing their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. There was uh, economic suffering and hardship and many of them would have lost their jobs. So there's a famine going on then. People are really under pressure, uh, not having work. And so Christians in Macedonia, never met them were giving out of what they didn't have almost, <laughs> sacrificially and generously. And they were begging the apostles to do it. Why were they begging? Because I suspect the apostles were saying, no, honestly, you don't give anything. And they were saying, we want to give. How can we not give? The gospel came from them to us. No arm twisting and no heavy sails and no emotional tugs. And we read of an order. They gave themselves first to God. And then they gave themselves relationally to the apostles. And then to strangers. What a church. They've gone down in history as a generous church. I'd love it to be a byword for St. Aldates That we were a generous church. Now some people give out of their... Extreme wealth. I read recently of Bill Gates deciding to give away most of his money to philanthropic causes. What a wonderful and commendable and remarkable and unusual thing that is. But even if he gives away 99% of his money, he remains a billionaire. (laughs) It's relative. But the Macedonian church gave extravagantly from their extreme poverty how extraordinary is that my pal David Ruiz, some of you may have heard of him certainly many of you will have sung his songs let your glory fall in this place and I will will worship and all of that he wrote those songs and actually made a lot of money made over a million dollars on one song (laughs) and he gave it all away he signed it all the way to the poor. And he has a tattoo on his arm. On one it says Mishpat, the Hebrew for justice or mercy, and on the other it says, Remember the poor. But the letter R is round here, so it actually says, Remember the poo. But that's <laughs> around there like that. And that's his life message. I've heard him preach. All over the place. Uh, Not that his sermons are all over the place, but I've heard him preach in different places. And he's always talking about remembering the poor, remembering the poor. And he told me once that he went to preach in India. He's planted numerous churches in India. And he went and preached in one of them amongst the untouchables, the lowest of the low, the, the caste at the bottom. And he went to their church. It was a corrugated iron hut Uh, with just mud for the flooring. And as he was going that morning, he said, Lord, what am I to preach to them? And the Lord said, well, you give the message I've given you to give in your life. He said, no, no, God, I can't do that. Remember the poor, they are the poor. You can't preach on remember the poor to the poor. And the Lord said, well, that's, that's it. Anyway, he was somewhat nervous, but he went and he preached, remember the poor to the poor and he said through his sermon they all began weeping and wailing and they were moved and challenged to go and give to the poor because there's always someone poorer and they gave everything that they had on them in an offering that's what we're seeing in the Macedonian church. Remembering the poor. They are the poor. There's always someone poorer. They're poor. They're going through hardship. But there's someone going through famine. So remember the poor. And that is the endless generosity that marked the early church. And it says in Acts chapter 4, there were no needy among them. So said from time to time, those who were really flush went and flogged a bit of land and laid the money at the feet of the apostles and they distributed to those who were in trouble so there was no needy person amongst them. That's resurrection economics. That's what we see with the Macedonians. And actions speak as loud as words. People listen to our words, but then they look to see if our acts back it up or... Or essentially, are we just the same as everyone else? And within three centuries, the very gates of Rome were rattled. Their philosophers, their pagan leaders, they were discussing these Christians who were marked by generosity. Who were marked by living with eternity in view who were marked by this resurrection economic who were marked by an open heart and an open hand that backed up their open mouths sharing the good news of jesus in their alpha course a late first century handbook on how to be a follower of jesus called the didache meaning means teaching says this don't be one who stretches out your hand to receive but shuts them when it comes to giving. And then finally, in times of famine, let the church be endlessly generous. So as we traverse this difficult economic and social time, it's a time for the church, as I said at the start, to be prophetic. Pragmatic, sure. Prudent, sure. Prayerful, sure. But we've got to be prophetic. And let's rise up and shine out with the generosity of god and let's show what we're made of and let's show where our heart is and let's show what our values are and let's show who we worship jesus said freely you've received freely give in covid lockdown our act ministry all day it's community transformation a ministry that uh is focused on those who have the least the, poor and the marginalized and those in prison and those coming out and uh, in covid lockdown we expanded that work and every day we had long queues and were cooking we had teams cooking providing the means and uh, giving food to those who needed it most i was so moved by that but i was struck two weeks ago when dave who heads up that ministry when we said what is your plan for this season this coming term he said well the verse for us is strengthen the tent pegs and lengthen the cords in other words we're going to expand our reach we're going to do more we're going to give more and when the going gets tough the tough gets stuck in and i believe it's not time for the church to draw up her draw bridges and retreat and ghettoise, but here at st audates we're committed the mission we want to partner with god we've been entrusted with so much what a beautiful gospel that we have and we want to reach out to the poor and we want to reach out to families and universities and our community with the good news of jesus and with an open hand seeking to help where we can practically you know, I am blown away by the generosity of this church. Almost 300 people serve voluntarily on different teams, giving their time and their talents. 90% of all our income comes from online giving. You'll know we don't even, we don't even give out uh, uh, You know, baskets to give money here. If you want to give, you can give. Go online, sainaudates.org, and up in the right hand corner it says give, you tap there. Almost all our money comes from that. We're a net exporter of income to the diocese. They pay for a clergy and a half, and we give them back money for two or three clergy. This is a generous church, and we want to keep on being generous. We want to be more generous. And everything we do is enabled by the generosity of our members. We don't have endowments. We don't have investments. We just have the church. And we want to be a church who give, and we are. And I've been here for 24 years. Some say way too long. You know, this is the start of my 73rd Oxford term. Wow. But in real terms, I've never been more excited... Because in the last 18 months I've seen more people come to Christ. A greater sense of anointing in the worship. A greater sense that the spirit is bubbling up and on the move. And the the kingdom is advancing. Remarkable things. Strangers just feeling led to come to church when they've never been in a church in their life. Is this the first time you're in church? Uh, first time you're in St. Aldi? First time in any church, someone said the other day. But they, they just felt someone else got off the bus and just felt led to walk in and come and were moved. And God is bringing people, and it's, a, it's an exciting time. Maybe you're one of them today thinking, what am I doing in here? Listening to that fat vicar with the grey beard, talking about money, what's all that? And maybe you've just been brought. Well, you're here because God wants to know, wants you to know just how much he loves you but it's never been a better time to join in the mission of God St. Francis and I, I'm, gonna, I'm landing the plane now St. Francis said in giving we receive you know some years ago in, I was reading the gospels and I was moved by the story of Mary who gate crashes an all male party falls at the feet of Jesus the story's told in different ways but she lets down her hair and she wipe, washes Jesus' feet with her tears of gratitude for the grace she's received. And then she takes from her neck a bottle of nard, pure spikenard nard oil. Apparently it was worth a year's wages. This was how they saved their money then. And it was saved around and she poured it all over him and anointed him. And Simon the, the Pharisee, the host says, what sort of a woman is this doing this? And what sort of a man would allow this woman from a questionable reput- you know, with a questionable reputation to come in here and do this? And the disciples, they said, what a waste of money. And Jesus says, this isn't a waste. This is fantastic. This is worship. Our generosity is an act of worship. It's an overflow of worship. Anyway, I I was really moved by this story. And I thought, gosh, I give so little to the Lord in real terms. And I thought, I'd like to be able to give more. And I thought, how can I do that? And I didn't have much to give. Um, But I thought, what would I be willing to pour over Christ? And at the time... Don't laugh. My hobby, and it had been for 20 years, was vintage fountain pens. You know, like Stilo Plume. And I thought, well, perhaps I'd just break one and pour the ink out or something in a prophetic act. And then I thought that would be absurd. So I didn't do that. And the next day, we were having an auction to raise money to to help with some ministry and sending some young people off on mission to South Africa. So I thought I would auction a pen. And then I got worried. I thought, I'd auction the opportunity. I had about 200. I'd collect them for a long time. I thought, I'll auction the opportunity for someone to pick one, hoping that they'd pick a cheap one. That wasn't very good. (laughs) And I thought, no, maybe that's not the right thing. I thought, I'll give them the rarest one. And I had a pen. It was called a Conway Stewart, number 23, in red tan. Uh, It was brown, but they called it red tan. And there were only two known to exist, and I had one. So I put it in for auction with a long thing all about how wonderful it was and they needed to treasure it. And they bid for it the next day and got a few hundred quid. Uh, they got what it was worth and the money went to uh, that, that outreach. And I thought, well, I've given something that meant something to me. It was a rather pathetic, rather meagre, but it meant something to me. Anyway, the next day, that was the Sunday that when they had the auction. The next day, the Monday, was my birthday. And I went out, and when I came home, there was a parcel, I opened the parcel, and there was my pen. (laughs) And someone who'd gone to the auction said, when the pen came up, they didn't know it was from me. They said, I'm going to buy, the Lord said to them, buy that for Simon for his birthday. (laughs) And they didn't know when my birthday was. But on the Monday, having bought the pen, they went into the parish office and they were signing a card. And they said, whose birthday is it? Simon's. When? Today. They thought, great. So they came round and gave me the pen. That is kingdom economics. I felt blessed. No, I felt blessed. They felt blessed. The charity felt blessed. Those who went to South, everyone got blessed. <laughs> it was brilliant. Shortly thereafter, one of uh, a graduate student who had been their chaplain came to see me. They, they kept saying, "Can I come and see you? Can I come and see me?" And I said, "Oh, I'd rather you not. I'm rather, you know busy." But in the end, I said, "Go well, on then, come on around. They came around and they said, "They said I've got something for you." I said, "What?" Well, and they pulled out a pen. I said, where did you get that? They said, and they were German. They said, I went home and it was, uh, I think it belonged to my granddad. It was in the drawer and, uh, and they had this pen. It's not this one, but they had this pen like this one. And uh, they said, oh, can I give that to my vicar? And dad said, yeah, it's a good pen. I think it's worth a bit of money, but you can, you can give it to whoever you want. So they gave it to me and they said, this is for you. I just thought I should give it to you. And uh, you can do whatever you want with it. Flog it if you want, but it's, it's for you. I said, you don't know what this is. They said, no, I said, you will never meet anyone apart from me who knows what this is. <laughs> this is a Pelican T111 from 1934. <laughs> it was so rare that the book on Pelican pens doesn't have a photograph of it. And they had it, and they gave it to me. They said, I've had it for ages. And it was stuck on blue tack on the frame to the door remember reminded me to come out i thought no (laughs) not uber valuable pens are not but worth everything i think it was a grace of god the bible says give and it will be given to you god is endlessly generous the macedonians were and god calls us to be a church of the open hand amen